Out of the Pen Podcast. What's up and welcome to the Out of the Pen Podcast where we are bringing you baseball from a fan's perspective. We are on the MTMV Sports Podcasting Network. Baseball fans rejoice. It's my team, my voice. This is Eric Boston. With me as always is my counterpart, Mr. Andy Ziga. How we doing, sir? Doing wonderful. Glad to be with you today. Awesome, man. And uh, we are coming to you guys live and in person with a special guest here today. We have from the Springfield Cardinals. They are the double-A affiliate of the Major League St. Louis Cardinals. We have radio announcer Andrew Buckbinder with us. Thank you for coming down, sir. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me, guys. Awesome, awesome. We are thrilled to have you in here. Uh, you guys have really you know, treated out-of-the-pin baseball really well last year when we got our start, um, You know, helping us come in, get some really good interviews with a lot of talented players. And, man, we can't be – more appreciative for what you guys did for us, you know, especially in our first year when we were just getting off the ground, really. Yeah, no, I mean, we appreciate the coverage. You know, Hollister's an important community within our fan base. Um, we, we love you guys down here. We've got a Hollister night coming up on opening day, even, uh, to, to kick off our season the right way with, uh, with our friends from Hollister coming up. So whenever we can help out, we'd love to, uh, whether it's without of the pen or, or anybody down here. Awesome. And for you guys who are not, uh, in our area that listens to the show, you know that uh, Andy and I are both high school teachers, and when he's saying Hollister, that is Hollister, Missouri. That is the school district that we teach in. Uh, so yeah, no, it's it's going to be awesome. We're we're very excited to have you here. Uh, before we jump into talking a little bit about uh, your story, your background, we wanted to hit on you know something pretty cool that just happened. We had our first unanimous Hall of Fame voter in. Marion Rivera, he's heading to the Hall of Fame, 100% votes um, to get in. It's pretty cool. I mean, I think we all expected that it was going to happen, but there was that small little part of us. We talked about it a couple shows ago uh, where we are like, man, someone's probably going to vote no just because, just to say no one deserves it, you know, 100% of the vote. Um, what would you guys think? W- were you surprised? that he did indeed get that 100% or was it kind of a foregone conclusion? Uh, I wasn't, I I was a little surprised, but not super surprised. I I thought it was pretty awesome. Um, And I, he, he needed it like he should have gotten it. And so that was my opinion on that. Well, I grew up in New York, you know, I'm a Yankees fan. So I, (laughs) I'm very biased in this topic. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think when you look at the totality of his career, um, you know, I think a lot's been made about the content of his character and, and how he went about uh, just having the impact that he did in the community and, and throughout the baseball community, throughout the New York community, uh, you know, for as long as he did. It's it's pretty hard to find any reason to not vote yes on it, aside from, as, as you were kind of alluding to, Eric, aside from just being kind of a contrarian and saying, oh, nobody should get it, you know, if, if these great players throughout the history of baseball didn't get it, well, then he doesn't deserve it, you know. And I know that there's an argument to the position and, and the fact that there weren't always closers in baseball. I think it kind of started up in about the 60s or so. Um, but, you know, you kind of have to work within the confines of the game as as it is in your time. And uh, 
I mean, I, I don't know if there was a more dominant player um, than Mariano Rivera uh, across baseball for that many years. Maybe the only other one that kind of pops into my mind would be another controversial one in Barry Bonds. When you start looking at his numbers and dominance, uh, which obviously is a totally different uh, a different path to go down when it comes to Hall of Fame talk. But, you know, when, when you when you consider that and when you think about maybe those two guys as being the most dominant in the sport for that amount of time, and you look at all of the question marks surrounding the whole Bonds topic, and then you look at Mariano Rivera and there's not a single question mark across the board I mean, to me, that just kind of speaks for itself. Definitely. I think uh, you hit on two very interesting things there. One being Barry Bonds. You know, him and Roger Clemens, they they got a little bit closer. You know, they bumped up to 59%, I believe, each. Uh, they were the first two that just missed the cut, I guess. Uh, but they're still, uh, what, like 16% away from, from making it in, and they've got three years left on the ballot. Oh, Andrew, we, me and Andy talked about this before on a previous show I'd love to hear what you have to think about or what you think about the situation I personally think that Clemens and Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame um, I'm, I'm with you Bonds did stuff I mean regardless of juice or, or whatever you know like he saw the ball better than anyone I've ever seen you know he, he might not have hit as many home runs right but I think he still would have been very difficult to get out he would still been getting on bases um, and he, you know, in theory, did have that Hall of Fame career even before the controversy, right? Um, so that's where I stand with him is that he was a Hall of Famer with or without it. Um, and then Clemens was, I mean, he, he, the same way, you know, just a, a stud throughout his entire career. Looked like, you know, he would make it. Same thing, controversy comes in. Uh, what, what's your thoughts there? Should those two be in the Hall of Fame? Well, I didn't know there were going to be hard-hitting questions <laughs> <Right>? on this. <laughs> well, I, I don't know, I, to be honest with you. I mean, I I 100% agree with everything you just said. Barry Bonds was a Hall of Famer before any of the stuff that he started doing, as far as anybody knows. You know, obviously nobody knows when he started, you know, taking whatever. Um, and, and the same thing can be said with Roger Clemens. But, you know, on the counter to that, and I think this is where a lot of people don't necessarily get past when they start looking at this sort of this this topic. It's interesting because I guess this morning Alex Rodriguez was, I think, on ESPN and, and they were kind of talking to him about it all. And of course, he's going to be in that boat when his name is on the ballot. Um, and I thought his comments were pretty interesting in that he basically said, you know, obviously, I would love to be in. It, it would mean the world to me to get into the Hall of Fame. It's what you dream of. It's what you play for, you know, from a big picture perspective. But I understand if if I don't get in, you know, I did it to myself. I, you know, I, I made mistakes along the way and I own those and I understand that. And I understand that that's part of, you know, part of the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. There is a character aspect to it, whether there should be, there shouldn't be across history there. there for the most part, there has been, um, you know, maybe that's not always totally exclusionary when you look at some guys that have gotten in that maybe weren't model citizens, but in large part, you know, they've kind of policed that a little bit. And, uh, you know, I thought that was interesting. And, you know, I, I was uh, on the drive down. I was listening to, to you know, the Stephen A. Smith show. And, and he, his big thing is you knew what you were getting into. You know, you know how things are going to be judged. And you knew that what you were doing, you know, was against baseball rules. And, and you did it. And there's an accountability factor to that. 
that, you know, I think it, it sends a really harsh message, um, but it, it sends a message to say, if you know the guidelines and you think you're above them or you don't care about them or you're not thinking about them, that doesn't necessarily mean you can just wash away the accountability by your greatness. And I don't know in, in a roundabout way to answer your question. I don't know which one I believe. I don't know which one I'm, I'm kind of conflicted on it. To be honest with you, I can see your point, and I agree with you in the sense that these guys were, were Hall of Fame players. They were Hall of Fame talents. Uh, but then their actions, you know, sort of degraded that a little bit. And, you know, I, I, I could see validity on, on either side. And, you know, that's a political answer, but, you know, that's, that's really honest. Actually, I, I am kind of conflicted on it. I also, you know, am no authority <laughs> on well, it. Well, I, I was listening to uh, Golik and Wingo on my drive-in this morning, and the one interesting thing that I thought they brought up was that, you know, they've got three years left on the writer's ballot they were they they very much had the feeling of if they don't get in in the next three years, it's not going to happen because the committee afterwards they said there's no way they'll put them in. Yeah. Um, Andy, what do you think? I mean, the the, the numbers the, the jump you know it wasn't just a tiny you know couple percentage points jumps. It was a decent percentage, and you got younger guys that are coming in there having those votes right now. Well, um, I, there's a few a few things that I have with that um, and. Andrew, you make a great point, what you're saying there, and you're absolutely right. Uh, a few things with it is you can't really tell who did what when in that time. I mean, you know, we were all big fans then, you know, kids, and just loved it, and uh, everybody knew something was going on, and we don't know to what scope. We don't know who's in already. We don't know who's not, like – and there for a while, the Hall of Fame was keeping out people just because they didn't know. And it's kind of hard to say, especially with those two guys, um, because they, they did not have a good system at the time to test it and to say anything. Well, and that's Where, the other thing there is that neither one of them was ever actually proven, right? And, so, And that's true. And it's hard to say, you know, either way. And uh, – uh, I don't know. So I, I tend to fall on the line that Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens should be in, but um, a lot of those other guys shouldn't, um, especially if you failed after they put the system in. Um, you knew way – you know, you had a much better idea of what was going on. Uh, it, I don't know. But anyway, that's where I'm, I'm at. Yeah, it's, tri it's tricky, and, and it's almost like in Cooperstown they should have a wing – you know, for this for this era of baseball that's kind of under that cloud. I mean, there have been other periods of baseball, whether it's the dead ball era or they change the mound height or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, but then the counter to that would be, well, what about guys like, you know, a Derek Jeter who played throughout that era and there's never been any inkling of history or, or, or evidence or a nod that, you know, or a suspicion even that he might have been doing stuff. You know, is it fair to kind of stick him in that wing because he played – in that time period and and that's where it's it's a really complicated matter and and i i mean that's why i don't i don't really have a, a set perspective on it because it's like whoever brings up what point i go oh yeah i mean that's a good if, point if you, you know? had a vote which way would you go oh you know what <laughs> I, I think i would probably at the end of the day i think i'd probably vote for for them i i think i just think they're they're 
if the Hall of Fame is supposed to encapsulate the the greatness in the history of this game throughout the years, I mean, I think there should be a notation. I think there should definitely be some sort of of an indication of what you know suspicion is out there or what was proven or, or whatever the case might be. But I I do think that this is kind of a pivotal time because you're about to have guys like Alex Rodriguez in a couple of years, David Ortiz, you know, both of those guys tested positive. Um, oh, yeah. And they're, they're going to be, there's going to be an Andy entire Andy Pettit. There's going to be an, an entire generation, so to speak of players that are going to be hall of fame eligible that are going to, you know, have positive test. I mean, Jason Giambi, it's like, so, but then it's, to Andy's point a couple minutes ago where he said, you know, I don't think all those guys should get in. I agree with that. But then it's how do you pick and choose? You know, should Rafael Palmero get in? No. I mean, <laughs> because we don't like him. <laughs> because he's oh, not, I like know. Palmero. I, he, I mean, I'm a Rangers fan. I grew up loving Palmero. But I I, I don't know. Um, he, I think he, uh, he stepped over the line. I think that he obviously used um, after as well. But, but mostly for me, it's about the timeline um, uh, of when it was after the Mitchell report or before. But um, one other thing there, and I don't know. I mean, this is off memory. I could be off. But I believe Jose Canseco claimed something like 80% of people were using. And while he's not a very good source, most of the stuff he has said has been true. <laughs> and so um, it's very hard because, it's, you know, even the people that we suspect were perfect, like, for instance, Rafael Pomero, I would have never thought he used steroids. Um, you know, I remember Sammy Sosa when I was 13. I remember watching him on the Tulsa Drillers, and I remember thinking, uh, he had to use, and <laughs> he had to be using. But when it was Rafael Palmero, I was like, he is the same guy today as he was five years ago, as he was 10 years ago, and then all that stuff came out. I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Right. It's tough. Now, I think the other interesting thing that you were saying when you were talking about uh, Mariano was you know the the specialty of his position right and we've got another guy that got in with Edgar Martinez who is on his last year of the ballot primarily a DH and we had this discussion as well a couple episodes ago of you know should he be in there and I was comparing him to Fred McGriff and I said if Fred McGriff's not in the Hall of Fame how do you put Edgar Martinez in there because by for the most part, McGriff's numbers are on par or better. And Martinez, his entire job was to hit. Um, what, what, what are your thoughts with Edgar? Well, I hadn't really thought about Fred McGriff. That's an interesting point. Um, my gut uh, is that Edgar should be in there. Um, I also, for whatever reason, I, I don't know if it was Griffey or, you know, I mean, Buner, who, you know, maybe shouldn't be in there. But, you know, I, I was drawn to those Mariners teams. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I always loved Edgar Martinez. So, I mean, I'm guilty sometimes of thinking sentimentally. <laughs> about it too. And I haven't, I haven't dived into the numbers. Um, so, you know, when you start comparing him to other guys and that, that, that's always the tricky part of it too, is, is when you, when you look across comparisons and, you know, you say, well, if this guy's in, should this guy be in? And, and that's part of the fun of it, but it's also any comparison is sort of imperfect, especially in baseball where there's so many different factors that go into it that, you know, now with all of these adjusted stats, I mean, you're you're realizing just how not apples to apples, you know, a player in a certain ballpark is to a player in a certain other ballpark or a part of the country versus another part of the country. And, you know, I mean, obviously the kingdom, 
you know, played a certain way. And, you know, so you take that into consideration. But, I, you know, I just – Edgar Martinez just was – he was the best DH in, in baseball, and he was one of the best first – you know, first best DHs or whatever the best way to put that is. Right. You know, where he kind of – defined that position a little bit exactly and you could look at it like well yeah he did because he wasn't any good at (laughs) any defensive position (laughs) um which is probably valid but i i just sort of think he should be in there and and you know i might just be easy you know when it comes to hall of fame but i I think if he if he made that kind of an impact for that amount of time you know just just put him in when we took a look he was a little higher on some of the analytics believe it or not than mcgriff was but he was uh Lower on some of the counting stats, like home runs and some other things. Yeah, and, and Andy's more of a numbers guy than I am. I yeah, mean, I don't, I don't hide the math it. guy. Right, over exactly. Here. Right. <laughs> I, I don't hide it. I, I let my eyes tell me what to think. Um, and and, I, and I he's a little it. partial to Fred McGriff, bro. <laughs> I, I, I got that a little bit. <laughs> and I loved McGriff too. Now, did they play about the same amount of time, or did did one play longer than the other? Uh, I'm pretty sure Martinez played significantly longer. I'd have to look it up again, but um, yeah. I mean they both played awesome. for several years. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I want to say though. I mean, I think Fred McGriff started a little earlier, um, but I think the total length of their careers were pretty close, if I remember right. So, yeah, I know it's it's an interesting topic, you know. Um, and you're going to, like you, you brought up David Martinez or, or David Ortiz, you know, you're going to see these guys who spent the bulk of their career at DH that you're going to see that more and more. So you can't leave them out. Um, so I understand that. And especially, and maybe it's fitting that Edgar Martinez got in this year, even though I, I kind of think, you know, he probably should have been in before, but the way the baseball is changing too, you know, where it's so offense driven and it's so power driven um, you know, you look at J.D. Martinez last year and, and the contract he got for being a, you know, a dreadful outfielder, but you're an AL team, you can stick him as your D.H., and he had one of the best years offensively of any player in baseball, and he could make that kind of an impact as a D.H. So to, to discount and to discredit the position because they don't play defensively, you know, y- y- then you look at what J.D. Martinez did last year and, and how big of a piece of that world champion lineup he was throughout the entirety of the season it's like how do you discount that right well and you, i mean pushing mookie bets for a, a, an mvp award yeah no i get it it's uh, uh yeah um it's gonna be tough it, it'd be tough to leave that out you know and I, so you're, you're convincing me a little bit more that i might have been wrong <laughs> about Edgar martinez and right now and I, i'm uh, trying to say thanks <laughs> well you know a whole lot more about it than i do so i'm just going off just passion over here for oh, Edgar, yeah. who was my boy I, I was a little off on that mcgriff mcgriff played 19 years and martinez 18 they oh okay right but it was about close. the same time yeah. almost the exact same like 86 to 04 and 87 to 04 wow so i thought mcgriff hung on longer like i remember him with tampa and he right. he kind of kept bouncing around a little bit towards the end and i forgot that edgar i guess was he was still up in seattle uh, yeah. Time, yeah, the whole time. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, the other the other guy that got in, uh, Roy Holiday. Um, I think you know. I'm pretty sure he was one of the him and Mariano, if I believe, were the two that I had said that's first ballot guys. Um, you know, is fitting. You know, we talked about during, you know, the the early 2000s how uh, Doc was just one of the me- the most dominant, if not the most dominant pitcher. And obviously, with him passing in 2017, it was um, 
I don't know, just, just a fitting thing for baseball to do, to, to have him in there on the first ballot. Um, I don't think that anyone's going to argue that it, he wasn't deserving. You know, you might have someone that says, well, they did it because he did pass away. Um, but I don't think that's the case at all. Would you guys say anything about Doc? Uh, I, I think I think Doc has to be in there. And you look at some of the old school, maybe they would say, well, maybe not first ballot, but I – if he's in there, you should be in there. And so, and I, you know, I think it, I think it's important to get him in there. So, I agree. I, I think if you're a Hall of Famer, you're a Hall of Famer. You know, I, I, and I understand the, the, the sanctity of a first ballot nomination, and I get all that and the historical context that that lends. And you know, obviously, that's a huge honor. But you know, to Andy's point a second ago, if you're a Hall of Famer, if you should be in, you should be in. And and making these guys wait and, and dragging it out and agonizing them, you know, after they gave so much to their career and, and to perfecting their craft for so many years to even be in the conversation to then drag it out. I mean, those those videos of of uh, I saw the two at least with Edgar Martinez and Mariano Rivera getting the phone call and the emotion that they both have about it. It's like, you know, why why make somebody wait 10 years, you know, like an Edgar Martinez? And I, and I get that there are things to debate and things to flesh out with it, but, you know, I mean, why why put somebody through that? Either they just, are or not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's not like he got any better you know, over the last 10 years. Oh, you know, no. the work, the body what? of his career is the body of his career. And, and you know, I mean. Her- Harold Baines, you know, like that's a different story, but it's the same thing. It's like. He didn't make it all those years, and now uh, they just kind of put him in. And, yeah, yeah. What changed? Know. His numbers <laughs> didn't change. You know, I mean, and maybe there's historical context to it or how we look at the DH has changed. And, you know, I, I understand, obviously, it's not in a vacuum. But, you know, if you're just voting against somebody because you think, oh, no, he shouldn't be a first ballot, I, I just I think that that's maybe contrary to the larger point of honoring these guys for the work that they did over over, you know, 15 to 20 years. And and I like to throw out um, just random stuff that probably shouldn't even be said. So with that, are, are you surprised that first time um, on the ballot that Rick Ankiel didn't get in? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not done yet. He's right? making his comeback. He, he, yeah. he, got, he got on the ballot, though, and, 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 and we kind of talked about that. We're like, well, he's ruining his chances. He yeah. <laughs> Right, he that he didn't get a single vote because everybody's on their on the right. edge of their chairs to see what he does. Yeah, no, and that's so cool. And the fact that that he's given it one last shot and and he's coming back and you know we got a chance. We had him at a at a charity event at at the ballpark two years ago, um, and and we've we've done a couple of things with him throughout the years, and and it's just so neat to to listen to him speak and how he's grown and learned and the perspective he has. Um, so it, it'll it be pretty fun to see, you know, how his spring training goes and, and what follows that. But just to have a guy like that be able to be there and, and be around some of those young guys in the Cardinals camp this year, is that, that yeah. alone is going to pay his ticket through spring training, and then hopefully he can contribute on the field. Well, I, re- I remember, and I think it was, it, you know, before you were part of the, the Springfield Cardinals, I remember whenever he was originally making his transition to the outfield, and he was in Springfield playing, and I was at the game that at the time, I don't know if it still is, you might know, but it was the longest game in Springfield history, and he hit a home run. It was after midnight sometime, and he he hit a home run to finally win it and send us all home, and not that I remembered much else about the game, but I remember that it was Rick Ankiel, and 
and it was pretty cool because you know not long before he was in the mid major leagues you know as a pitcher and now he, here he is down in uh double a you know making that transition to the outfield and and you know having some heroics right so that's pretty cool yeah that's really cool i you know and i just i just heard a piece of trivia and then and, and i'm probably going to mess it up um but i think and i might have the number wrong but I think that there are only there are only two players. I know that part. There are only two players in Major League Baseball history that I I think have 150 home runs and 150 strikeouts um, as a pitcher, right. and it's Babe Ruth and Rick Ankiel. And I think the number is 150. I might be wrong on that, but he is in a, a, a party of two with Babe Ruth and what he was able to accomplish. So he should be in the Hall of Fame. He should. <laughs> <laughs> he should be. Simmons, Babe. Right. <laughs> All right. So yeah, no that. You know, Hall of Fame stuff. It's gonna be awesome. You know, the ceremony is gonna be great. I'm sure. Uh, but you know, you didn't come down here, uh, make the trick trip for for nothing, Andrew. So we want to definitely take some time and talk about, you know, just kind of your story. You know, you you were here at the school, being able to talk with some kids this afternoon, kind of give them, you know, the, your background, which was awesome. We're super appreciative of that. Um, and you've got a, a cool story. You know, you started off um, just out of college kind of looking for a foot in the door somewhere within sports and you end up uh w- what was the team the the new haven county Cubs. New haven. yeah yeah so <laughs> they had a jingle and everything it was legit oh, counting yeah. crows is that what you said <laughs> the new haven county cutters 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 yeah. Uh, do you remember the jingle? Uh, yeah, I do, but I, I don't perform. Your, your numbers would plummet if I start singing. So, uh, so what level was that? Was it was independent league independently. in the Can-Am League, which okay. still does exist. Um, uh, but the, the cutters, unfortunately, folded after that 07 season. Awesome. Yeah, that was my impact. <laughs> I was going to say, was it because of you? It might, might have been. Yeah. You, you got to do, you said three innings? I got to do three innings of color commentary. Yeah, awesome. and it, it was a web stream. It was on their website um, in 2007. And, uh, you know, I, I, I went to Trinity College, a little liberal arts college. And, and like I was telling the kids, um, you know, it was an Asian history major because that was my favorite topic. And, you know, going Asian through school. History. Yeah, I mean, history in general, and then I sort of specialize. You know what, and and part of it is in high school, um, you know, obviously here in the States, we we learn about U.S. history, you know, and and, um, you kind of keep learning about the same sort of topics. And when it comes to world history, you know, in different parts of the world, we don't get to focus on that as much in high school. So uh, when I got to college, I I took a lot of classes in Asian history uh, that I I got really into and in the antiquities, you know, ancient Greece, ancient Rome. Um, and, and I didn't, I wasn't really thinking ahead in that and, you know, what this was going to do for me for a career. Uh, but it just was how I enjoyed, you know, spending my time in college and, you know, I was developing in my communication skills in those classes. And, and then, uh, you know, second semester, senior year, it, it dawned on me that the dream was ending and <laughs> I was going to have to get a job. Um, and I didn't really want to be a, a teacher because I can't cut it with you guys, man. I, I did a brief substitute teaching stint. Um, Real teaching is a lot better. Oh, God. That's what everybody <laughs> I mean, told me. But if you need a sub gig, I'm sure we can hook you up. Well, what I learned is <laughs> your last name it. is Buckbinder. Just write Mr. B. Just right? write Mr. B on the, on the whiteboard, blackboard, whatever it is, and, and just save, you know, the heckles from Buckbinder. Um, that, was a, that was a day one mistake, and I didn't do that again. But, yeah, and, and so 
I, you know, I knew that, that that wasn't necessarily the path for me. And, and I just thought that working in baseball in some capacity sounded, sounded cool. I mean, what could yeah. be better than that? And, uh, Sounds pretty awesome. I yeah. Mean, that's <laughs> why we're trying to live out, you know, boyhood dreams with this podcast, I think. So yeah, <laughs> it's so, in, in some way, in some way. That's fun. And so, yeah, that's awesome. Man. And, uh, I just love, I love, uh, the story that you weren't really sure what you were going to do and, you came through, and it your major still helped you with everything that you were doing, and actually prepared you and got you uh, more ready for what you uh, for broadcasting. So. Yeah, it's always a joke I like to make because it's like Asian history. How random is that? But you know, and, and that's where when we talk to when we talk to classes and when we go to job fairs and career fairs, you know, and and, and a lot of times uh, students will ask, "Oh, what should I major in?" And you know, I don't want to say it doesn't matter. Um, especially depending on what field you're going into. I mean, if you want to be a doctor, you're going to have to take, you know, some like pre-med classes along the way. My older brother wanted to be a physical therapist, but he never wanted to take a science class. He's a lawyer. So, you know, I mean, to a degree, yeah, you do have to major in something if you're interested in it. But, you know, when it comes to broadcasting or or working in sports in general, um, or if you are like I was and you don't really know, um, you know, I I was kind of under the perspective of I, I wanted to do what interested me. And, you know, through that, uh, we had to write 40 page papers and we had to do, you know, oral presentations and group projects and research. And so the whole time I was developing these skills that I use daily, whether it's, you know, speaking, writing or learning how to research, because that's such a big part of my job is is preparing myself to give a three plus hour presentation nightly. Now, there's also a game going on. And, you know, so that's kind of that kind of keeps you on track. Um, but just learning how to prepare yourself and learning how to, f- you know, how to be curious and, and how to ask yourself a question and then use your resources to figure it out and find out the information that you want and, you know, to follow a, a question down a path and, and try to develop a storyline out of that or, or read between the lines in, in an article that you're reading online and, and ask about that in an interview and, and get more information from a player or a coach. You know, that was all stuff that I sort of started to learn and develop in college when I was, you know, doing papers on the Ming Dynasty <laughs> that I, I didn't necessarily know would help, but it ended up, you know, helping. And so, I mean, I, I think my biggest advice to, to students is always just do what you like, do what you want to do and, and figure out the rest and, you know, pour your heart into it, work your butt off and, and try to try to be a good communicator along the way. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's amazing how uh and i have a whole soapbox that i'll spare everybody on but it's amazing how how quickly our our standard for communication skills for for people being good writers and and people speaking well and correctly and grammar in general it's starting to maybe not be as big of a focus as it used to be but um you know it definitely helps out and it's a skill and it's a habit that you have to develop and you have to keep working on um you know a lot especially out of college yeah i mean once you're once you're done with school it's so easy to forget so much of that and and as you guys know doing this i mean it's important to to keep that 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 skill sharp yeah well and i mean for me so i went to you know went went to college right out of high school um but i didn't finish i ended up, you know, saying I was going to take a break and that turned into almost a decade before I went back to school. And it was after I went back to school that I, you know, kind of figured out, man, I I really like writing, you know, and that's what got me 
into it. You know, I started off with uh, Kings of Kaufman, their Royals blog with Fansider. I think that's the first time that me and you interacted. Yeah. Uh, I came to interview Jake Newberry. And um, so, yeah, no, it, it, and you see that, like, you know, I'm back in school. I'm, I'm in grad school now, and I look at some of my fellow uh, students. <laughs> I'm trying to – I don't think anyone listens to them that's in my classes, so I can say this. But you see – like discussion board posts and stuff that they put on there and you're like, man, really? Is, is that what you're turning in to say, hey, this is my uh, grade level discussion board post that I'm going to put up here. This this says, this is grade level writing. And yeah, no, I, I'm with you there. It's like, I, I, I try to tell the, the kids at the school, like, man, you got to be able to write. You got to be able to communicate. And so I love that you guys are going out and you're saying that to, you know, the, these young people that you're interacting with uh, on a regular basis, definitely. So after you, a, after the team folded in 2007, <laughs> 2007 um, you ended up in California and, and doing hockey. Yeah, I, I was uh, with the Bakersfield Condors uh, for almost two full seasons. Um, and, and that kind of worked out. It, it was funny because that sort of worked out uh, again. I was a little bit late. I was behind the curve on it. But towards the end of the baseball season, I started thinking, oh, man, I got to figure out what's next. Right. Um, and, you know, hockey was obviously a, a winter sport. So I had the bright idea to start applying for hockey teams. And and a lot of them were full by that point. But the, the Condors had had sort of a late opening. And it, it kind of ended up working out independent of this. But but then it was bolstered by the fact that at the time the Cutters were owned by the same um, the owner that owned the Condors, okay. just sort of ironically, and it was something that we pieced together actually in my phone interview um, was when the guys over there sort of put it together too, and so at that point that really helped, um, you know, kind of seal the deal for me. And so, yeah, I went out there and um, you know was was thrown into a bigger role than I initially thought uh, because our 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 communications department with the Condors are, are we had a PR director and a broadcaster and they both actually ended up leaving for other opportunities about two weeks into my tenure on the job as an intern. And so I got thrown into doing stuff that I was not ready for. And I mean, it was awful. I was, you know, I was on the air doing hockey for the first time ever. And the poor fans out there were so nice, but <laughs> they were, they were dealing with me, you know, as a 23 year old, never done and never done a hockey game. And, were you, were you a hockey fan? Yeah, I grew up okay. playing hockey, so right. I knew the game at least. But, I mean, I my only broadcasting experience were those three innings of color commentary a game with the cutters. You know, I didn't do anything in college because we didn't really have a department to do it. So, I mean, I, I was really bad. Um, in traveling to parts of the country I'd never been, you know, Victoria, British Columbia, and oh, figuring wow. out, you know, getting a phone card to call in with the equipment and you know, all the, all the hurdles of that down to Phoenix and, and the experience of traveling with the team and some of the etiquette involved with that. And, you know, everybody was really gracious <laughs> and understanding and patient with me. And, and luckily, we ended up bringing, uh, bringing a, a, a former broadcaster with the Condors back, and he took back over as the main guy. And, and that was one of the best things for me because then I, I really got to learn from him. Um, and that's where, you know, in this career – I think what I've found, at least, and, and what I think a lot of people find, even if you go to a broadcasting school in college, you really learn, um, particularly if you're going to work for a team, you learn the job through internships. 
and through working for people and through working for organizations. And, and that's yeah. because we do so many other things, you know, whether you're writing ad copy or press releases or, you know, selling sponsorships or ticket packs or whatever. And then you get to call the game at night. Um, and that's just the reality of, of broadcasting in the minor leagues. And, and so that, that can really rock your world. If, if, even if you came out of, you know, the Newhouse school in Syracuse and you might be polished on the air already, you know, there's a lot more that goes into it. You're pulling tarp, you know, back and forth all day and, and doing all these different things that uh, that can definitely be a, a bit of a shock to the system until you kind of get in there and, and learn the ropes. Realize that's the way it is. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what? I, what I've found and what's always helped me is, is embrace it. I think a lot of broadcasters sort of uh, ruffle away from that a little bit because they kind of see it as, well, this isn't helping my broadcasting career, but it really does. Uh, because it, it gets you more ingrained with your organization. You know more about what's going on. And then also there's a really good chance that that next opening, whether it's the next level or a bigger city or a place you want to be, there are going to be hundreds of people applying for it. And they're gonna be, there's going to be more than just you that sounds good. So what else can you do to separate yourself as a, as a full employee and as a, as a full asset to the team? And it, a lot of the time it's going to be you know, some of the other experience that you've gained. And so – if you embrace it and if you enjoy it and if you look at it as an opportunity to grow, um, you know, it can really be a, a, a fruitful career. I'm, I, I've had a I love the business side of it, yeah. you know, and, and I love being a part of the office and being part of being a, a part of our team. And we also have a pretty special group in Springfield that I get to be a part of. But, you know, that's I, I, I don't think I would enjoy just doing the games and not having anything to do all day. I would go nuts. I'd be bored. <laughs> I'd be maybe I'd be a, a more prepared broadcaster on a nightly basis. Um, but I, I, I love that interaction and I love getting to, to be a part of the community in a bigger sense than, you know, just doing the games. Yeah. And it, it seems like you've kind of settled in here with, uh, Springfield. You're going into your seventh season, correct? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's mean, been seven or six so, how, so far. Yeah. How does that compare with, I mean, the typical minor league broadcast? I mean, it, it seems like on the surface, like it's pretty good tenure. Yeah, I mean it's a it's definitely a tenure I'm proud of, yeah. um, and and I think it's funny because you can look at it kind of like the Crash Davis effect of yeah you're the home run you know record <laughs> holder for the minor leagues and <laughs> does anybody really want that because um, it means you never got to the big leagues of course so I mean yeah there's there's that element but uh, you know when you look at the Texas League I mean there are guys that have been with their teams for 25 30 years um, from a broadcaster perspective and and I think it it depends on what you want. Um, for your career and, and what you want for your life. And, and I don't think there's any one of us that would say, you know, that we don't want to be in the big leagues. Um, but, you know, along the way, uh, what are you prioritizing? And, and for me, you know, I'm married and, and we love Springfield and my wife's got a great job. And, you know, it's, it's the best place that we've gotten to live um, throughout my career, you know, in, in, in the totality of the situation. It's, yeah. it's just such a good opportunity. It's and, not Midland. It's not Midland, right? Yeah. I hope nobody in Midland's listening in. I love you guys out there, but yeah, it's not Midland. You know, it, you don't, so rarely do you get to pick where you go. And, you know, I guess you get to pick in the sense of you don't have to apply to every opening. Um, but I, I remember when I applied to Springfield, I, I looked at it and I'm going, oh man, the Cardinals own their double A team in Springfield, which is, a, it looks like, you know, from that perspective, I'd never been here before, but I was like, it looks like a cool city. I knew Jeff Levering, who was, was in my role before me, is now with the Brewers. And so, um, you know, I kind of reached out to him and picked his brain, and he had just glowing reviews about the organization, about the city. 
And there's so many situations in minor league sports where things are sort of imperfect, whether it's maybe you don't love where you live or maybe you love where you live, but your job isn't great or, you know, the organization doesn't value the broadcast or they, you know, whatever the case might be. And so I, I really don't, I, or I, I really try not to take what I have for granted here in Springfield because it could be a triple A opening, you know, in, uh, in Nevada, for example, you know, that's affiliated with a, with the Mets or whatever, you know, and it, it might not necessarily be a step up. And, and I think in a lot of cases there, there's a handful of opportunities that I would consider better than, than what I've been fortunate enough to have and, and kind of carve out here in Springfield. So can we ask, I mean, do you have those aspirations to go beyond the double a level? I mean, you, you kind of said that, you know, there's not anyone in Texas league that wouldn't want to be at the major league level. I mean, is that something that you have as a goal for yourself that you want to get up there or you kind of feeling like I'm in a good spot? I think both, to be honest okay. with you. I mean, that's kind of, we're back to like my Hall of Fame answers, just total cop-outs. <laughs> but no, I, I think it's both uh, because, it, yeah, I mean, I, I'd love to, to get as high as I could get, you know, just as from a professional aspiration standpoint. Um, but I think it would still have to be the right situation. You know, I don't know if I would want to to do, you know, to be a, a pregame host, for example, on a radio network just to be in the big leagues, you know, where you're not getting to do any of the games and you're sitting in a studio and, and listening to other people do the games and you're by yourself for three and a half hours every night. I don't know if I would be happy doing that. Um, and that can sometimes be a great path to getting some innings bit by bit. Uh, but, you know, I'm not sure if I want to spend X amount of years, you know, necessarily doing that when I, when I could be doing this. So, you know, I, I think, as an imperfect answer to your question, yeah, I mean, you'd love to, I, I would love to be in the big leagues, but, you know, I also know what I have here and, and, you know, I, I love it here. I love it from a, from a professional standpoint, from a personal standpoint. I love the community that we're in. I mean, we, we have the nicest people on the face of the earth in, in Springfield and in Southwest Missouri. Um, I can say that cause I'm from New York. <laughs> <laughs> and so those are all the things that, that you, you start to look at on that pros and cons list when, when, you know, when openings pop up, when a triple A opening pops up in Pennsylvania, for example, and you're looking at it and you're going, well, should I throw my name in the hat? Is it a professional step up? Maybe not necessarily, you know, guys go from double A to the big leagues sometimes, um, you know, and that's part of what makes it a tricky question to answer because there's no real set path to get there, whether it's a guy getting hired from, you know, the Brewers hired a guy from the University of Nebraska a couple years ago to be on their team. Um, you know, a lot of guys get hired from doing a pregame, you know, show or something, being a part of that booth in some capacity. Some guys get hired because they've been in radio in that market for a while. Um, so there's no real straight, you know, line to it. I know the, uh, I just saw a, a tweet the other day, which is awesome. But Tommy Thrall, who I, I don't, I've never gotten the chance to meet, but he was the broadcaster in Pensacola for years. And he just got hired by the Reds, you know, their, their parent team, uh, to, to be in that booth. Um, and, and they're going to have some overhaul coming with Marty Brenneman retiring after this year. So, I don't know if Tommy, I don't know what the nature of that job is going to be, but he's going to be, you know, a part of their broadcast team. And, and certainly I would think have an opportunity to maybe pick up some of those innings. So, you know, it, it you, I don't think you can ever chart the course, but what I try to do um, is not take any, not treat any stop along the way as a stepping stone and, and really try to settle in and, and enjoy every, every phase of the career, whether it's three years or 30 years. Right. Well, I mean, when, and when people end up, 
you know, in this area, you know, around Springfield, you hear that a lot about how they enjoy the people here. And obviously, you know, the Cardinals have a very passionate fan base. You know, we're three hours from St. Louis, roughly. Um, and you get to go to, I mean, I haven't been to a ton of double-A parks, don't get me wrong, but I mean, I, I believe Springfield's got to be one of the best, you know, just aesthetically pleasing parks in the minors. Um, it's, you know, a great place, I would think, yeah. to go to work every day. It's awesome. And you know what, the atmosphere during games, because it's it's Cardinal Nation and we're Cardinal Baseball, um, you know, we do we do fireworks, we do promotions. Obviously, it's it's family fun and entertainment, like every other minor league team. You know, we we have a focus on that, but there's also a focus on baseball in Springfield that you don't get in you know probably 90% of minor league stadiums around the country because it could be a, a Rangers affiliate in North Carolina. You know, where the fans aren't really the the, the baseball side of it, it's not really resonating. Uh, they're they're strictly for the promotions where we have a very good mix of of those baseball enthusiasts and that makes calling a game a lot of fun you know when you have a good crowd noise we have such a good buzz in the ballpark throughout our games because fans are just checked in they're they're cheering for the right times they're cheering you know when baseball fans would be cheering a lot of times you know in midland for example the loudest cheers are when uh, juice the moose the mascots flipping frisbees off the dugout during an <laughs> inning you know i mean it's like the seventh inning it's a 10-run game and the fans are going nuts because the moose is flipping frisbees well i mean you don't see a moose flipping frisbees very often yeah. <laughs> that is true that's a novelty you that's probably have seen it more than most people but i have seen it a couple times yeah well so let me ask you about the about the big league club i mean obviously they you know Big move this offseason, training for Paul Goldschmidt. Um, there's a lot of people, I think, within that Cardinals nation that would love to see Bryce Harper come to St. Louis. Um, I mean, well, at this point, what are you expecting out of them? You know, you, you've had the Cubs that have been, you know, right up there competing, you know, obviously winning a, a world title a, a couple of years ago. You got the Brewers that are on the uptick, just falling short of the World Series. What What do you think that St. Louis is going to be able to do this year? Well, and the Reds have gotten a lot better over the past month or so too, with some of the moves that they've made. They just got Sonny Gray, and you know they got Puig and uh, and Kemp from the Dodgers. So, yeah, the Central is going to be tough. Um, but I I think the Cardinals are in a great spot, and that Paul Goldschmidt trade. I mean, I didn't think, and I know nothing for you know for the record I, I am a, I am as big of an outsider as anybody but just looking at looking at it and reading the tea leaves I, I didn't think there was any way they were going to be able to get Paul Goldschmidt without losing Dakota Hudson in that package and so I love Carson Kelly and I love Luke Weaver those are two of the the best guys we've had come through Springfield and I, I really still think they've both had obviously some speed bumps along the way but I think with a consistent opportunity in the big leagues, both of those guys are going to be are really good big leaguers for a really long time. Um, but to get Paul Goldschmidt, who's yeah. been one of the top probably five position players in baseball over the past seven or so years that nobody ever thinks of because he's in Arizona, um, to get him for, for a package without having to give up, you know, Dakota Hudson, uh, I, I think is a steal. And I, I think it's great. And I because of that, you know, you look at Bryce Harper, and, and that's obviously that's a hot topic right now. And I, I can see the attraction. And I can see what he brings to the table. And you have a chance to, to bring a player like that in as a free agent, and he's only 26. 
you know, which really doesn't happen very often the way contracts go. But if if you're looking at a deal the size and the length, and maybe the length is more important even than the dollar amount, if you're looking at that deal and there are any question marks about whether it's the performance or the fit from a personality standpoint or some combination of both or, or whatever uh, across the board, if there's a, a single question mark, then, you know, you don't have to make it. And, and I, I kind of think bringing in Paul Goldschmidt fills that middle of the order bat. You hope that Marcelo Zuna, you know, can kind of be a consistent producer, especially maybe in a little bit less of a pressure role. Yachty's only getting better with every year offensively. Paul DeYoung, Harrison Bader have another year of experience under their belt. You know, I, I don't necessarily – and then, I mean, Matt Carpenter, you, you can't forget about him as well and, and the year that he's had. So, you know, I don't think that there's that that burning pressure after the Goldschmidt trade to to commit that, uh, that you know, size of a deal, that long of a deal to a guy like Bryce Harper who, you know, I think he's a great player, but I think also anybody would, would admit they're – there have been a couple question marks, you know, from a clubhouse fit and, and you know, how, how is it going to impact your organization as a whole? Yeah. It's, um, it's well, a lot of money. <laughs> it is a lot of money. <laughs> it's a lot, that might be the understatement it's of the century. It's a, a lot, lot of money. It's a lot of digits. For, for a guy who um, has had some really good years, but a few that – not bad, but, like, but is he going to continue to have all those years where, he, where he's – yeah. And, you know, I, I just think and, and I don't know if it's good, bad or, or, you know, indifferent it might just be sort of like you hear with the stock market. It might be a market correction. But you look at free agency and, and you look at you, you have to, I think, take every year in a sort of a vacuum of of the market you know, standard and the deals that you're hearing that, you know, that Harper and Machado were supposed to have gotten are kind of out of alignment with how the market's been. So it's like why you know if you're a if you're a GM if you're an owner out there of any team you know why are you drawn to be the one team that's willing to kind of go against the market trends and give this guys a deal that you know the market might not necessarily suggest is the best move. Well, and, and I think with that you know the report is that the White Sox offered Machado ten years, one seventy five, and. I mean, was that's, it, was that's, it 10 or 7? Uh, was it 7? I think it was 7. Okay, maybe it was 7. Yeah, uh, but either the, way. Either that's way, a that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money, but it's, but it's, money, a, but it's also from what he, a lot yeah. less than what people were thinking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because whenever you're talking about that, the report is that Harper turned down $300 million yeah. from na- the Nationals. You know, so obviously he's looking for 350 plus. I mean, you're talking about half that money, you know, is is – Harper going to have anything over 200 out there to him? I don't know. It's interesting. But I think you're right with uh, with Goldschmidt. It was a smart move for St. Louis. He seems like a St. Louis guy. You know, he's the closest thing to pool holes, I think, in the game. And they've been trying to fill that void since uh, he went to the Angels. So it's going to be very interesting to see what they do. I think you're right. You know, he's going to plug in to that three-hole, maybe let, you know, Ozuna – you know, come in and hit clean up and, you know, maybe bounce back a little bit this year because, I mean, it was a little bit of a struggle last year for him. Um, so, no, it's going to be very interesting to see what uh, the Cardinals do. Uh, you, you're around these minor league guys all the time, right, at the AA level. Give, give us one name that maybe no one's talking about at the moment but could, you know, make an impact in the big league 
uh, on the big league roster this year? Oh, gosh, that's a good question because it, it's tough to pick one. Um, I oh, might go. I, I, I might go. So there are two from last year that that really uh, had kind of breakout seasons with us in Springfield. One is Lane Thomas, who's an outfielder. Uh, they got him from Toronto in a deal that didn't really cause a, a ton of headlines because it was just sort of a minor league trade. They got him for cash considerations uh, midway through 2017. Last year, he made the jump up to double-A for the first time in his career, and he was outstanding for us. Um, he's kind of a, a five-tool type of player. Uh, he's got a lot of power, and he's only going to keep developing physically and, and from a mental side, you know, with an approach perspective. So I, I think, you know, he'll be in Memphis this year for sure, uh, I, I would think, and, and he could definitely uh, play a role. That outfield's pretty crowded in St. Louis. So, you know, it, it'll kind of come up to an opportunity. But I, I think Lane is, is definitely probably somebody who's not maybe as at one of those household prospect names, but is really going to play himself into that top prospect status. And another one's Tommy Edmond, who is a middle infielder. He's been with us. He came up in 17 and, and had a, just a phenomenal year last year. He set our all-time record for a longest on base streak. It was 31 games, I think, 32 games. Um, switch hitter, he, he's really good defensively. He just gets on base, and he's, he's a smart player. He's a Stanford guy. Um, and, and, you know, I think that he could be one that might get a chance o over the summer. I, I don't believe he's on the 40-man as of right now. Uh, but over the summer, I wouldn't be necessarily surprised if things shuffle around on the 40-man because he, he sort of is that perfect Greg Garcia type of player that you can slot in a whole bunch of different positions. He's going to give you a quality at bat. Uh, and he's also fast. He stole, he stole over 30 bases for us last year. So, you know, he could definitely be one that, that finds his way into, into some role up there in the very near future. Awesome. I think that uh, has all my questions. Any, what, anything that you got uh, for Andrew? I, I had a few, a few questions. Um, first, has, has there ever been a time that you've been on air and you just had to kind of – you feel like you kind of had to fill it and you don't have much? Like, has there ever been – are there some games that are just harder – yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and so, um, so what do you do in that situation? Like, you just, I don't know, make it work? or <laughs> You know what's so funny, and I think a lot of broadcasters could probably relate to this, is the days that you feel really good going into a game, you end up stinking. And the days that, you know, maybe you got into town at like 11 a.m. that morning and you took a quick nap around lunch and you got to the ballpark and you're totally like a zombie all day and you're filling out your scorebook and left field is right field and you can't you just can't get anything right. And then the game starts and it's great, you know. So, I mean, a, a little bit of it is tough to figure out. There are also some days where um, you don't necessarily get to prepare as much as you would like. Uh because other things happen, whether it's raining and you're pulling tarp all day or, you know, it's life. a busy media day or life, <laughs> which I try to find a little bit of time to fit in as well. Um, so, you know, there are some days where you kind of go into broadcast and, and it's like going into a it's like the closest thing I can relate or, or describe to that is is showing up at a test that you didn't study for and just feeling like you're you're kind of like you know proverbially naked in the room and you just you don't have all your tools um and, and sometimes that can be sort of daunting but you know I think I think the biggest challenge um for me is to is to avoid uh just falling into bad habits yes. on those days uh, you know to where you're you're 
you kind of shut your brain off and you're just on cruise control and you're calling every play the exact same way. And, you know, it's the 52nd ground out, you know, in the week to the second baseman and you say it the exact same way and you describe it the exact same way. And you're not, you're not challenging yourself to try to get better. You know, it, it's funny because I kind of feel the same way sometimes with teaching math. <laughs> because, <laughs> because I just get into it. I'm like, I know this. I'm just going to show it. And, you know, yeah. it, it just makes it so boring. And it's like, I, I can't, I, I can't say the same thing, Andy, with being Look. in special education. I can't say the same thing. Oh, it, every day is exciting. It's different for me. <laughs> well, not always exciting, but different. <laughs> yeah, <so. laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's it's e- sometimes it would just be easier to just put some problems up there and move on. So. Yeah, because <laughs> everybody has that, you know. Yeah. And and that's what that's what's so amazing to me. It, it's so easy to to be at home on Twitter or whatever and critique, you know, Joe Buck and critique these guys who are in this national spotlight. Uh, I remember reading an article. I, I'm a big Iron Eagle fan because I grew up a gigantic Nets fan. Um, yeah. And, you know, he was the play-by-play guy for the New Jersey Nets. And then, you know, Marv Albert kind of took over a couple years. But anyway, so I I remember reading an article about Ian Eagle and his schedule in the overlap between college basketball. um, And I guess it was the overlap between the NFL and college basketball starting up. Or or it was something. Um, And his schedule was crazy. He had like three or four games in a week. He was flying all over the country. He was doing his prep for the next broadcast on the plane. And, you know, it's one thing to prepare for game 117 of the Texas League when we have seven teams to play. And by the, you know, by the second month, you know everybody's team (laughs) pretty well. You know, we play the Arkansas Travelers a ton. So (laughs) you can kind of whip up, you know, your prep pretty quickly and you feel pretty good. Uh, But, I mean, to prepare for a a national television broadcast of two teams that you haven't been covering all year on a plane – you know, taking the red eye from one coast to the other, and then, you know, you don't skip a beat. I mean, those guys are so good, and they, they battle through so much of that fatigue that, you know, impacts all of us in our day-to-day life, whether it's, you know, you just have a lazy Saturday on the couch because you had a long week or whatever the case might be, or Monday morning rolls around and you're, you're not on your A game. Everybody deals with that yeah. in any walk of life, and, you know, to, to have those guys have the, the stage that they're on and, and to be able to deal with it is, is pretty impressive. I, I had one other question. Um, is there anything that you're looking forward to um, with, the, with the Springfield Cardinals this year? Um, uh, how, how are you feeling about their team and any specific thing you're looking forward to? Uh, it's still not set or anything like that, but, but what, what, what's your feeling going into the year this year? Well, I'm always excited. I mean, it, this time of year, we had the Cardinals caravan come in last week, and, and that sort of gets your, your baseball juices flowing, and, um, you know, a couple of warm days would be nice, and then I'll really be ready for baseball. But uh, we, we, have a, we, we won't find out, um, as you noted, you know, until really spring training, you know, what our, what our team's going to look like. Um, we might – I mean, there are some pretty exciting young players that are coming through the system that might get pushed up to AA because uh, they've been that good. Um, a third baseman, Montero, who was in Peoria last year and I, I think had one of the best single seasons in Peoria Chiefs history uh, at, I believe he was 20, um, maybe even 19 last year, and he ended the year in Palm Beach. So he might be heading our way at some point, you know, just, just kind of guessing. But what, what, what I am excited about that I know of is we have a new coaching staff, and, 
And, you know, I always miss our, our former coaching staff because you get to develop such good working relationships with those guys. And, and our manager the last two years, Johnny Rodriguez, was fantastic to work with. Our hitting coach, Joe Bell Jimenez, who will be in Memphis this year, is, is one of the best people that I've ever gotten a, a chance to work with. Um, a terrific hitting coach as well. But it's always exciting, too, to, to get a new staff in and, and develop new relationships. And so we're excited. We have a new manager this year, Joe Cruzel. Uh, who's been with the Cardinals for, I believe, 11 or 12 seasons in, in a lot of different roles. Um, a new hitting coach, Brandon Allen, who, who played in the big leagues for, uh, for I think, parts of four or five years. And our pitching coach, Darwin Morero, who's coming back for his second season. So, you know, it, it's always fun to get to work with those guys and, and, uh, and get to know, you know, some new people within the organization that uh, bring a lot of new experience, you know, to the table and, and bring some different perspectives and, and to get to, to learn from a new crop of coaches and, and get to know those those guys. It's something I always look forward to every year. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for making the trip down here and being on the show with us. Uh, before we jump off, like, if people want to follow you on social media or just keep track of what you have going on, where can they do that? Yeah, I, I'm a bad tweeter, I, <laughs> I must admit. I don't tweet often, and when it is, it's normally a picture of my dog or a sunset at a ballpark somewhere. But my my Twitter handle is a buckbinder, uh, B-U-C-H-B-I-N-D-E-R. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, aside from that, that's kind of the, the best way to keep up with where I am. Um, and uh, to kind of follow along, our, our front office page on SpringfieldCardinals.com, I believe, has my email uh, as well. So if anybody's out there wants to reach out, you know, feel free to send me an email. It's abuckbinder at, at Cardinals.com, too. Awesome. Andy, where can they follow you? Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Ziga, Z-S-I-G-A underscore Andy, A-N-D-Y. Awesome. And, guys, you can follow me on Twitter at Eric Boston number three. That's at Eric Boston in the number three. If you are listening to us on the MTMV Sports Podcasting Network, uh, you know, take a time to just jump over. Check us out at outofthepinbaseball.com. You can find all of our past podcasting episodes on there. We have written articles. We got some videos. Uh, we got several interviews that we had with different minor league players and even a, a couple of major league guys, uh, thanks to Andrew and the people over there at the uh, Springfield Cardinals organization that hooked us up last year. Uh, so check those out. I mean, just, uh, you know, fun content. Everyone that's involved with Out of the Pin Baseball, we really just do it because we're passionate about the game. You know, we love it, and we're going to be talking about it, whether we're doing it, uh, you know, as an article or we're doing it on the podcast or whatever. So we figured why not put it out there and share it with other people. Um, and like we say, you know, it's baseball from a fan's perspective. So definitely check us out, outofthepinbaseball.com. And, you know, yeah, we'll be on there. So any final thing that you guys want to say? Uh, no, just thank you very much. It, it was great to have you today. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. It was, it was awesome. It's a great podcast, and, and we appreciate, you know, all the coverage throughout the season. You guys are always welcome at Hammond's Field. Awesome. Well, we plan on being there for sure. <laughs> so, all right, guys, uh, we will be with you in a couple of weeks, and we will be uh, catching back up on Andy's series of topics. Um, I'm not sure which one we're going to dive into, but I'm excited to find out. So make sure you tune back in in, in, in two weeks, guys, and we will talk to you then.
Baseball fans rejoice. It's my team, my voice. For the most baseball coverage on MTMV Sports, tune into the Out of the Pin podcast every other Friday night. Join me, Eric Boston, and the rest of the Out of the Pin baseball team as we bring you interviews, discussions, and the latest happenings from around the baseball world. It's the Out of the Pin podcast. Check out our website at outofthepinbaseball.com where you always get baseball from a fan's perspective. Want to stay up to date with Yankees baseball? Listen to Bronx Bombers Beat with me, Nate Shelton, every Monday, right here on MTMV. Sports fans rejoice. My team, my voice.